This is the Evan Hawk Podcast. Welcome to The Oven Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and nights of the Old Republic. Today, let's reconnoiter the depths of Terrace's Undercity and reflect on the riddle of rat ghouls. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows, this is where the promised land begins. Our first topic, we're, we've sent out a question for everybody, and that was, would you want a male or female Revan? Oh, and just some... Just some statistics on it. We we got back that ninety one percent of everybody wanted a male Revan, and then nine percent said female Revan. So not scientific. We just appreciate everybody's responses, and thanks for participating. So we just got some uh, some in depth responses from a couple of our viewers. The first one from Astronautica Art, who says. It's hard to choose. I mean, with a man, the story looks more classic and satisfying, even for the dark side. But for a woman, it feels more emotional and tragic, maybe only because of my gender and self-insert feelings provoked by it. Uh, one of the sad and more realistic moments of the female story is the romance with Karth. No magic force bond between them. He's no force user. He has a teenage son. And that cut dark side ending where they both die on the Star Forge broke my heart. When uh, I was kind of reading the response by Astronautka Art, I was just kind of saying back, like, yeah, I guess I always saw him as a guy, and the official version of Revan was a man, so that's why we refer to him as a man in the podcast and assume he would be a man in an adaptation. Maybe we should be more clear with that, but uh, in the future, it would definitely be interesting to do some episodes on, like, what an adaptation or something would be like with the female Revan. Because it could be interesting, it could be fun, and I just wanted to add that uh, the cut ending was beautiful, and if you don't know about that ending, it was kind of like a neutral ending. And what it was is like, Revan, who's a woman, goes to the dark side, and then after she killed Malik, uh, Karth comes to her and says like, we can end it right here. Like, you don't have to go continue down this dark path. It's too late, but we can die together. And they die together. And that ending was cut uh, because it would kind of preclude sequels, you know? But uh, some of the writers, they're like, yeah, that was our favorite ending. And I just have to think, like, if you have a female Revan... Karth really kind of gets screwed over in Knights of the Old Republic too, because he has to get over losing his wife after Saul betrays him. And then he finally moves on and kind of settles down with Revan. But then Revan's like, yeah, I'm having visions of like dark side. So like without even telling you I'm leaving, like, bye, you know, and 
I imagine, like, because Knights of the Old Republic 3 never happened, like, it's kind of like he got ghosted, like, forever, you know? And it's just like, oh, okay, I'll just move on again, I guess. But what did you think of that comment? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree. I think that just the KOTOR story doesn't work very well with a female Revan. And I I'm, I think there's a lot of places that you could go, but I think a lot of it would end up just being a lot of um, created ground to, and it would kind of be evident that they're trying to make it work versus just going with the male Revan to where it's, I guess, easier to work with the source material. Yeah, I mean... With the female Revan, there is, like, there's a big dialogue tree with Karth. I think the biggest of any characters in that game. So I can see why um, some players would really like that romance. I personally just didn't like it, but I can see why, why others would. I think a female Revan could work. I just think the male Revan story works better, personally. And I guess, like, in some ways, maybe when it came out in 2003, if Revan was a woman, it was kind of more of a shock because it's like, what? The dark side person was a woman, you know? And it kind of just blows your mind, but... I'm just making a joke that, but now raise a Palpatine. Well, that was 17 or 16 years later, I guess. So Star Wars Revan... Um, chips in and says it isn't really about my gender when choosing a Revan I just go with the canon Revan so I don't get confused when reading lore and I mean it makes sense yeah I mean I think we just kind of had to make a choice uh when we were coming up with the podcast like Revan can be anyone I guess but I guess like there is an official Revan I I still haven't quite accepted the Old Republic, you know? I Like, I know it happened, but I haven't really played it. It's not really my favorite. I love uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and Knights of the Old Republic 2. And that was the decision that was made is male Revan, female exile. And when I first played Knights of the Old Republic 2, I was like, I feel like both of them are guys, you know? But then the decision was made, like, female exile... And at first I was like, then you kind of miss out on a lot of, like, some threads with Brianna and Atris. But the more I thought about it, like, I think a female exile would be more interesting, you know? I kind of think, like, the romances weren't quite as well done as, like, maybe a male exile's was. But... I guess in my mind, like, if they ever made an adaptation, they could, like, I don't know, maybe make Atten less, less, you know, kind of gross sometimes, or maybe um, reinterpret the Disciples character, or, you know, make Beodur a Dark Horse third option, you know, but I think, I think it does work, like, male Revan, female exile. Yeah, my latest playthrough of Codes War 1 was with Female Revan, and I just didn't really enjoy it. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, it didn't quite flow uh, as expected and kind of to my liking. So, yeah, and for Codes War 2, like, it just makes sense that you 
could kind of go either way, but I chose female exile for that one. And like, I haven't noticed any issues with running a female exile because I think the story tackles more of like focusing on the force and not so much of what's going on around you. Yeah. So the long and short of it is no matter like how you see Revan or the exile, uh, we're, we're just glad you listen and... Just the reason, like, why we refer to Revan as a guy is just because that's what the old canon was. I mean, if there were an adaptation, like a movie where the where Revan was a guy, I wouldn't be opposed to, like, something like maybe a graphic novel where Revan was a woman, you know? Like, just so there's a little bit of something for everyone, you know? Just, uh something fun like that but but yeah uh in the future we'll probably do just a couple episodes or about uh a female revan all right before we move on to the undercity we're just going to take a quick break Our grand recapping of Knights of the Old Republic 1, we last made it to the Undercity. Karth and Revan took the elevator down to the depths of Terrace into the Undercity. And when you get there, you just kind of take in the environment. And there's no sun, like you cannot really see a sun. And at least there are lights down there. There's these massive pillars and columns holding up the weight of Terrace. I I swear I could hear them creaking, then that you can faintly hear the city above you. What did you think of uh, the environment down there? Like I definitely I definitely agree with like the dark and the only light that you're getting is kind of artificial. I didn't really notice any of the audio cues because I think you're just so far away from the terrace main hub that it's just it's a whole other world up there yeah especially because like you're so far away that no sunlight gets down there and so i mean that's all there's a lot of superstructure in the way to uh kind of get there it would feel creepy and claustrophobic because the top layer the upper city of terrace is beautiful then when you get to the lower city it's like oh this feels really gross like the ground it's like that needs a power wash. I don't feel safe walking around here. And then you kind of get more sci-fi vibes uh, in the Undercity. Like, this is kind of beyond anything I've seen, and it's creepy. But as you kind of continue uh, through the camp down there, you run into Rukil, who is 100 years old. He kind of sounds crazy. He's kind of like, will you bring salvation or damnation? And you're like, uh, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, and he's like, I am looking for the promised land. My apprentice is gone, and I think it's under the Undercity. And he just continues talking to Revan, and he's like, I feel the mantle of destiny upon you. 
could you complete this quest for me and find uh, these three journals about the promised land from my apprentice, my father and grandfather. So you're like, okay, I'll, I'll be I'll be looking for those uh, data pads. And Rukil also kind of tells you about the backstory of the Undercity. So like there was a rebellion on Terrace and the people who rebelled, they got sent uh, to the Undercity to with their families like as prisoners. So I'm kind of like, this is kind of the Australia of Terrace. I didn't really realize that on my first playthrough, like that's where the people in the Undercity come from. And then you pass Igears. Uh, he's kind of a shifty character, but he has a shop. And my advice to you is to stock up on antidotes and uh, definitely some med packs because you're gonna take a beating uh, when you get to the sewers uh, from Gamorian slavers and rat ghouls. And then kind of to establish what rat ghouls are, uh, you make it to the gate of the Undercity village and there's a guy named Hendar running away from rat ghouls. Hester makes it in and then you see the rat ghouls are chasing Hendar and you're like, oh, open the gate, we'll fight the rat ghouls, you know? And then, so you and Karth take him down and I don't know, how would you describe, what would you describe the rat ghouls looking like? Well, first off, you can choose not to open the gate and just uh, watch him get eaten but what I what I kind of pictured was just kind of like a low res white monkey, like a big monkey, and and I think that's just the graphical limitation of of the time that what they went with, and I think it it's okay that they went like that because I I think if they went more towards what a rat ghoul probably should have looked like, yeah, we would have probably bumped the ratings of the game a little bit to a bit more mature. Yeah. Because how I would describe them is like a shiny cyclops and they kind of just like the hands and feet kind of like there's just three fingers and like I think like three toes and they have horns on them and I think there's a horn on the head and when you turn into a rat ghoul it's like your clothes disappear you're just a shiny monkey cyclops and I'm like okay <laughs> I guess this is happening so you kind of erupt like the incredible hulk just yeah so i'm just like okay that's different but yeah rat ghouls are not your friends they will kill you after that when you leave the gate you run into mission and she's in distress she's like zalbar was kidnapped by gamorian slavers down in the sewers will you help me find zalbar and I'll do anything to help you get that task done. So she joins your party, and you're gonna run into a lot of mines in the Undercity and the sewers, and she can dismantle them. And one thing I would always do in KOTOR and Knights of the Old Republic 2 is I would have my person set up mines, like if I, th if I knew there was an encounter where a big fight was going to be, I would just set up mines and then activate the fight and then just, like, kind of run around it and then the person would stumble into the mines, you know? And that was, like, 
one of the best things I could have done, I think. But yeah, Mission, she's at the same level of, on the light side meter as Karth. And she's not as jaded as he is. Uh, she's more innocent, I would say. So where Karth kind of represents your light-sided moral compass, I think she's kind of like maybe a little bit of that kind of childlike, maybe naive, like, hope. So wherever you fall on, like, the light or dark side spectrum, the roster's gonna be filled with characters who kind of contrast or kind of align with your way of thinking. But you make a deal with Mission, and it's like, if, if we find Zalbar, will you help me get to the Volker base? And she's like, yes. And I forget, like, how much you stumble into Candorous before you kind of officially meet him and he joins your party. Because he was down there with uh, some of Davik's thugs looking at the downed uh, Republic escape pods. I don't know. Do you think that's interesting how much you kind of run into him? I, I think it's a good, like, foreshadowing of a potential meetup. But it's not anything drastic that, like, gets you excited to to confront him. You just kind of see him over and over again. Yeah. Because I, I totally forgot that you run into him in the lower city and undercity before you kind of meet up. But yeah, when I was kind of walking around, it's like you get the prompt and then you talk to Karth and he's like, I don't trust people. And I'm like, okay, so that's, that's cool. It is kind of interesting, like just the different ways you can tell a story. Like if it were a novel, a TV show, a video game, or a movie, like, kind of how you have characters show what they feel or reveal things, like, because I think if you kind of did the car story in the same way as the video game, it could maybe turn some people off, so I think it would have to be more visual and kind of more gradual, but yeah. And then when you're on your way to the sewers, you will pass a Sith patrol, and I, I'd totally forgotten that there is a red Sith trooper down there, but but there is. They're kind of more rare on Terrace, I would say. And then you make it to the sewers, and they are massive, but you find Zalbar, and he swears a life debt to you. And I thought that was kind of unnecessary. If he's going to swear it to anyone, I think he should have sworn it to Mission, because they're BFFs, you know? And, uh, yeah... What did you think of that life debt? It's one of those callbacks to the Phantom Menace. And I think I think there is a little bit of that too. If like if you knew more of the deep history between Han and Chewbacca. And I think it's important for later in the game. It's also possible that Zalbar also had a life debt with Mission, so I guess maybe he's just a he's just incredibly sunk deep in life debt. But yeah, uh, I don't I don't know if that was quite established whether he had or didn't have a life debt with mission because I mean, they're kind of like best friends, you know, so I think it would make sense if like Zalbar swore life debt to mission and like it was her idea like you should you're already friends like swear to her you can be like the Chewbacca to her Han, you know, but alas, you know, like he swears it to Revan and I don't think it quite works with Revan because Revan, you know, leaves, you know, 
in Knights of the Old Republic too, and he's just like, bye guys, you know, so, but yeah, so when you find, when you find Zalbar, he joins your party, and Mission will help you get to the Volker base, it's like, kind of in the northeast sewers, and there are rancors there, so that's fun. I just realized that Zalbar doesn't swear a life debt to Mission, because, spoiler alert for the end of the game, if you choose to go dark side, Zalbar will follow you because he owes a debt and you can ask him to kill Mission and he'll do it for you. That's just so cruel. That's one, that's like the main reason I can never go dark side. Because I mean, it's one thing to kill like Juhani and Jolie because they uh, like are force users. I mean, it's hard enough killing them, but like having... Zalbar kill mission like that's just twisted but I mean like in the movies like most like every single movie except for like Revenge of the Sith like the protagonist chooses the light side so and then when you leave the sewers uh the Sith patrol they are dead and you can loot the rat ghoul serum off of them and then you can use it to save the quarantined villagers and then you talk to Igears on your way back, and he wants to rule the outcasts in the Undercity. He'd rather have the status quo remain, where they're all kind of miserable, and he can be successful, like, kind of scalping his village members, rather than, like, they can all, like, have a good life in the Promised Land. And I was kind of reminded of the Aeneid. Um, there's a quote... From Juno, I believe, and it says, "If I cannot move heaven, I will raise hell." So I turned eye gears down, but yeah, it would be interesting to kind of see like if Revan would always go light side or dark side or what. But I don't know. That's just how I play is kind of like light side. So I presented Rukil with the three journals, and he says, "Like, oh wow, this reveals where the promised land is. It'll take weeks or months to get there." And once you go there, you cannot return. That's the secret. So I'm like, I don't know. It got my curiosity going. I'm like, where is it? Will they survive Malik's bombardment? And I haven't really played Star Wars The Old Republic. Forgive me. It probably answers it. But I just haven't really been invested in that story. But what do you know about The Promised Land? Um, if it talks about it in SOTOR, I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. I don't know. It's just like, I wonder what the promised land is, where it is, and do they survive? Because they're kind of beneath everything. You feel like it would be mostly the surface kind of taking the brunt of that bombardment because it wasn't quite as neat and efficient as the Death Star, you know? It's kind of just like haphazard, big energy beams, you know? So it's like, I feel like some people had to survive terrorists. From our conversation earlier, too, with how we discussed, there was definitely survivors of the terrorist bombardment, but at the same time, it like completely ruins just everything about terrorists, the atmosphere, obviously, the the structures. And so it was like a, people survived almost out of accident. Yeah. And, and somehow they just found a way to pull themselves out of the mess. But yeah, I'd say that Anybody in the Undercity would have definitely just died. Oh, well, the villagers then depart for the Promised Land, so, like, it empties out. 
Like, everyone's gone. Yeah, the more I think about it, I think terrorists, and especially the Undercity, reminds me of the ones who walk away from Omelis, which is a short story by Ursula K. Le Guin. And what happens in that story is you have a utopia, but the price of that utopia is that an innocent child has to suffer its whole life to be able to support like everyone else's happiness and yeah so I don't know just playing playing this gave me those vibes and I was kind of just thinking like upper terrace seems fine and great but that's because they take the aliens and the prisoners and the people they don't want and force them below them and so yeah it, it gets me thinking you know I, I kind of wonder if the ones who walk away from Omelius inspire terrorists at all. But in the next episode, we're going to be covering Rancors, Volkers, and Swoops. Oh my. And before we move on to Rat Ghouls, let's take a quick break. So yeah, we had a question from one of our followers. They ask, so uh, we sent out another question for our followers and uh, we, we got some poll results for it as well. And the question was, should Rat Ghouls appear in a KOTOR adaptation? Just a quick jump to the poll results. About 87% said yes and 13% said no. Just in case you wanted some more background on what Rat Ghouls are and where they came from. This is coming from Wikipedia. Rat Ghouls were a type of Sith spawned mutants engineered by the Sith Lord Karnas Murr. Uh, he desired an army to rule over and seeking a way to cheat death, you know, as so many Sith do. Murr forged a talisman that he poured his spirit and power into, one that eventually came to be known as the Murr Talisman. Murr's talisman could turn almost any sentient being near him into a mindless rat ghoul, which he could control but he found that there were exceptions. Force-sensitives and certain alien species could resist the talisman's effects. Thus, Murr engineered the Rackle Plague, a virus-like disease that could be spread by a Rackle's bite or scratch from its claws, and that subjected the victim to a slower transformation into a Rackle. Jealous and fearful of his power, Murr's Sith rivals killed him, and over time the Murr talisman came to reside on the Outer Rim world of Terrace, where the Rackle Plague ran rampant through the world's impoverished Undercity, creating vast numbers of Rackles. And it, they also appear in the Knights of the Old Republic comics, and the Old Republic, and, like, just, like, I haven't really played the Old Republic. I know I should more, but, I mean, we kind of just focus on the KOTOR series here. So, Coden, like, what do you think, like, should Rackles appear in a KOTOR adaptation, why or why not? So I was on team, yes, they should. I guess for that sequence in the story, I thought the one piece or the one thing that was out of place was the Rancor and not so much the Rat Ghouls. 
because I think there is a good way to like work in the rat goals, but you know, I, I think we, we kind of discussed this offline where the rat goals could easily become like a zombie chase sequence. And for a Star Wars film, that would be a bit out of place. And so I think there's just a better way to work them into the story. But I'd, I'd rather see if, if we were to like omit one of the things from the Undercity, I'd rather omit the Rancor than the Rat Ghouls. Because I know in the Clone Wars, there was the Blue Shadow Virus, and it's basically a zombie plague. And there's been Death Troopers in the old legends, like Han and Chewie come across like zombie-like stormtroopers and have to fight them off and survive. So like, there kind of are zombie-adjacent things in Star Wars, but for me... I'm fine if, like, you see rat ghouls, like, in the distance and maybe they have to fight them off, but, like, if they appear too much or there's too much of an emphasis on them, it, I think, could start to feel like a zombie movie and, like, it's a Star Wars movie and you're not even on terrace for the whole film. I'd rather have it kind of be, like, a weird creature in the background that you see and you're like, what? the heck is that you know so I guess I was leaning more towards team no but it would be interesting to see how they could be handled I think there's a lot of like non-threatening places that the rat ghouls could be uh there's there's like one zone where they they sort of study them in the undercity and then at the uh at the base there's a spot where they're studying the rat ghouls so like I would you know, I think it'd be fine to show rat there, but then I think you'll lose a lot of the tension of um, navigating to the Ebonhawk without the rat And so I think that the rat can still be implemented without just making some out-of-place zombie chase sequence. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of in the game kept in the Undercity. I guess you could make it like Gamorrean Slavers, because they do appear in the sewers, or maybe you can have both or just one, but would you keep the Rackles looking the way they do in the game, or would you change it? No, I would change it. I don't, I don't really care for the look of just kind of like the, the monkey look. Uh, I would have liked to see maybe a bit more of a, of a zombie look, but not anything like super stereotypical zombie. I guess for me personally, I, I wouldn't quite like the zombie look something more creature-esque like sith magic i could get behind just if it kind of looks like a different species of aliens maybe they could even have them kind of be red kind of like the original sith species on korriban but i don't know it you definitely kind of or at least i kind of definitely appreciate the world building and visual choices that george lucas made in his movies because in his six films like all of the world's environments all the creatures living there it makes sense you know if you look at what the species look like on Utapau or Mustafar you're like they fit there you know and the vehicles make sense in this world and the creatures look like they're adapted to their environments so I think you'd have to take those into consideration 
uh, when you're kind of creating the visual look of what Rackles would, would appear like. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Ebon Hawk. You can find us on Instagram at Ebon Hawk Podcast. Uh, we're always posting. We keep you updated on our podcast news and some fun KOTOR parallels and Inspired a Galaxy posts, among others. The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out immensely. And our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com, and you can email us your comments and questions and business inquiries. And if you want to find me, you can just find me at Twitch or Instagram or Twitter, just searching for Code and Bun. Uh, you can find me streaming live, and if you want to talk to me directly, you can do so there. And our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman, and he can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. All right, and this has been the Ebon Hawk Podcast. May the Force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Bye.